I mean, the kid doesn't even mute his mic. I don't understand why why he could. Uh, Adam, sorry, just... the heat's on. I gotta drop this. I'll see you guys. <laughs> it's like, don't waste my motherfucking time. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode number 41 of Ghost Party Radio, an in-depth and very serious exploration into the world of genre film, hosted by two small-time cowards. I'm your host, Adam Cervantes-Wagner, and allow me to introduce my co-host, John Voigt's brother, it's Trevor Dillon. <laughs> yeah, boy! Yes. Yeah. Say, do you know what time you hit record in this episode, Adam? No. 420, Four. dude. Nice. Your yeah. favorite time, bro. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, yeah, dude. I, I don't really know much about you, Adam, but uh, I know everyone just expects me to be this big stoner. And like people are like, uh, people are like oh, you do you know this Tropicana dispensary? I'm like, guys, I do not smoke weed. <laughs> I am like just the most <laughs> – I am the most anxious person maybe you'll ever meet. And then people just assume that I'm a stoner. Uh, Adam, it's the heat episode. Bobby. That's right. It's the heat episode with our two baby boys. Um, before we get into it, though, uh, do we have any listener reviews, Trevor? Uh, we do have a listener review. One listener review. You want to read that to um, the people? Also, here we go. This is from a listener and big fan of the show. I'm sure uh, Vanessa Kovler, and it's titled uh, "To Corman or To Korgman," <laughs> and the body reads, "Hello, amateurs." I should have known I was in for a wild ride after I almost spit out my coffee laughing at the burned milk story. As a former theater kid and someone who's watched the film several times, I'm glad that Little Shop of Horrors got its due on the latest podcast episode. Mm. Yeah, this is an older review, as you could tell. <laughs> yeah. uh, however, however, I'm deeply sorry that it was uh, through an illiterate furry, Trevor, you adamantly defended yourself against the rumor that you can't read but had nothing to say about the furry claims, mm -hmm. and someone who can't even make hot chocolate right, which I guess is you also, Trevor. No. As with all things, the women were the best part. Haley and Katie, thank you for making the episode semi-palatable. You were lovely in the episode Saving Grace. I especially enjoyed Haley pointing out the alternate ending as a metaphor for capitalistic consumption, as Adam would say upon completion, goo-goo-goo, horrifying. Five stars. Mm. Great review. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I do appreciate the part where uh, this this reviewer says that the, the women were the best part of the episode, as usual, uh, which is uh, sets us up perfectly for you to introduce our guest because it's three dudes on the mic today. That's right. Uh, let, let we, and uh, here bringing heat is uh, a very special guest, uh, an old friend of mine that I haven't spoken to in a while, but it was... Uh, Re very excited to get on the show. Uh, he's a filmmaker. He's a film editor. Uh, you know him. You love him. It's Calvin Chin. How are you doing, Calvin? Hey, Adam. How's it going? It's been uh, yeah, it's definitely been a minute since high school. Yeah. yeah, I think the last time that you and I hung out was when we went to go see Ip Man Three in theaters. Yes, which was which is totally a related heist movie. But uh... yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, uh... no, 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 that was great. And I'm I'm sad that I wasn't able to uh, hook up with you again for Ip Man Four. But uh, <laughs> yeah, when, but when did it's Ip Man Four come out? Like literally right before the pandemic. Okay, we got time before <laughs> Ip Man Five then, right? No, I think they ended there. Yeah, they did. A, didn't little... they do a reboot? 
Uh, yeah, but they're not, they're not great, you know? Anything, any Ant-Man movie without Donnie Yen isn't, isn't that exciting to me, to be honest. Right. Yeah, I think it's, it's important that we're talking about this because uh, Calvin is sort of the reason that I have any, like, window into cool martial arts film. He and I went to the same uh, film school and high school, and so we learned, we kind of, like, practice our art together, which was very fun learning the ropes with you. Yeah, I still remember, I still remember our gum PSA, dude. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was like one of the first things that I was credited for on INDB. <laughs> I don't know um, if you noticed, but it is on INDB, and, I d- and we have you attached as co-writer. <laughs> nice. All right, yeah. Trevor, did you ever get around to watching that one? I have not seen the gum PSA, but I am sitting here uh, almost rolling my eyes out of my head because... This is the heat episode, guys. What are we talking about right now? <laughs> Did you know how many – Calvin, uh, we spoke before the show. Thank you for coming on to the episode, of course. But I got to put some pressure on you. I got to apply the heat. Okay. There are a million guests we could have had on this particular episode. I know so many Michael You're right. Mann. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> but I know so many Michael Mann freaks. Uh, that could have been on this episode. So I'm just putting the pressure on very early, and, and you as well, Adam, uh, because you are injecting Calvin into the Ghost Party uh, Radio world. That, right, guys, now he's the, part of the universe. The pressure is on. We have to talk about this movie. This is like the biggest of big boys, if I could steal a, a, a term from Aya and Kevin's podcast. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. And the thing, the thing that's really interesting is when you first guys, when you guys first approached me about, like, heist movies out in my head i was like oh man i don't know i haven't seen too many heist movies like the the only ones i can think of outside of heat are like what cash that kid fucking uh (laughs) national treasure baby driver and then and then i realized like the one true classic i've seen was was heat back in like freshman year of college and that was like the most hype i've ever been for any heist movie yeah, that's a good yeah. time to see that movie, freshman year of college, because this seems like a movie that would have been on a lot of, um, I don't know if you were in a college dorm or not, but I feel like it would be right next to that Fight Club poster on the wall there. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, no, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I, when I watched it, I was like, wait, what year is this? Is this, this come out last year? <laughs> because that's how modern it feels. It's, it, yeah, especially it's, with the TVs in the movie. Oh, yeah, no, it's <laughs> And all the uh, pre-internet stuff and the uh, the big cell phone that John Voight talks on, but but we'll we'll get oh, to yeah, the whole no, um, totally. <laughs> uh, how we'll get to how unfairly maligned this movie is as a movie that would be sitting next to uh, Fight Club, and, and we'll get to all that later. But uh, uh, this is where I usually take over hosting the show. Adam, thank you for your service. Thank you. Like, yeah, let's get back to Ip Man. Um, Calvin, <laughs> what's your what would you say is your favorite genre of film? Oh, that's tough. Um, it used to be thrillers. I, I used to be obsessed with, like, these kind of movies like Heat. Like, the 90s for me were, like, my favorite movies of all time because they had the best um, gritty thrillers that were with more up-to-date technology, if that makes sense. Like, the, mm-hmm. like the 90s had the perfect medium of, like, blending visual and practical effects before mm-hmm. visual effects were advanced enough to to really take over everything. So mm-hmm. So, for me, like, thrillers were, like... The Rock or uh, Casino Royale or like and and even before that all the Hitchcock films those those were the ones that really captivated me the most like the movies that 
weren't like supernatural, but they had a sense of hyper-realism to it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, there, okay. it's not fully grounded, but at the same time, there's, there's something about the cinematic language that elevates the pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, do, what, what do you think makes like for a good thriller, in your opinion? Like something like Heat, maybe? Um, suspense driven by character. Like mm-hmm. you have, you have. I really think, I really think you have to have stakes in regard to not just a threat level, but literally like you have to be invested in these characters, and you have to be genuinely concerned as to how how their safety can is compromised. You know. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I think, I think my favorite thing about Heat is the fact that this is like the only heist movie I know where the the essentially the robber and the cop have have almost like some kind of mutual respect for each other. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a face off between them, and it's it's a it's a cat and mouse game, but they at the same time they they depend on each other. You know, it's this mm-hmm. movie that could have been just as dumb heist action movie it could have just been gta uh, a gta mission for all we know but it decides to elevate it like and show like the different perspectives it really humanizes like all these characters yeah absolutely i would have liked to have seen uh the two of them get together and run away holding hands at the end <laughs> oh yeah yeah you know. al pacino to near... <laughs> yeah. i don't know uh, what, what is it he has that one line where he's like i don't know how to do do anything else <laughs> the guys like me neither and then they go walk into the sunset with their couple of cups of coffee in their hands <laughs> i would have watched that movie yeah yeah no that'd be great uh, by the way uh we should mention that we're we're gonna be talking about uh the movie the heat with melissa mccarthy for the rest of the episode so get ready for that oh uh, i haven't seen that one but okay sure <laughs> um trevor you got any details for us on this yeah so uh of course we are talking about heat and i like how we've already gotten into it we're gonna go heavy into it for the next uh 45 minutes or so i'm sure but um this is michael mann's heat for the year 1995 good year and uh it is Mm -hmm. two hours and 55 minutes uh i always thought as a child that it was well over three hours but he didn't do that. He went right under three hours. Uh, starring, of course, uh, Bobby D, two-time Oscar winner, Bobby De Niro. Um, two-time or one-time Oscar winner, Al Pacino. Uh, I'm going to put third billing at Danny Trejo. Uh, <laughs> of course, uh, Val Kilmer's in there. Uh, uh, Val, I was going to call it Kilmer, but Val, the new documentary is out right now, and they <clears> kind of <throat> briefly touch on it, how he was just super honored to even be on the poster because Val Kilmer's on the poster for this movie it's like De Niro Pacino Kilmer you know what I mean that's how big of a star he was at this time uh Mm. you know Tom Sizemore of course there's a million incredible like literally every Tom John Voight (laughs) Natalie Portman uh, Natalie Portman I like to argue sometimes that her character in this movie is basically the sequel of what happened to her in the professional (laughs) yeah like yeah. she's like she's gone been traumatized from that experience of yeah. the professional and so her character is essentially <laughs> the aftermath yeah the um and also ashley judd's in this which i actually had forgotten so just to give you a little background i just watched this movie um at the new beverly i went and saw it last week uh with an aforementioned michael mann freak diego crispo who was also mm. uh, um on our jupiter ascending episode and you know, it played four nights at the Beverly, uh, not on a double feature, just by itself, of course, and uh, completely sold out. 
Quentin's personal prints. There were some frames missing. I, you know, I like things digitally projected. This would have been playing much better in my mind digitally, but on film, it looks cool. Seeing it in LA, it was very cool. Those blues that Michael Mann uses so often in the movie uh, looked interesting on film. But uh, Adam, mm. I got to put the spotlight on you. This is your first time seeing this movie, no? Yeah, this was, and I'm glad. Uh, oh, thank wow. you, Calvin, for for forcing me into it. Um, because we'll just get it out of the way. You know, this movie rules big time. Whoa! It was super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Everything about it rules. I mean, it has such a great flavor to it. Michael Mann knows exactly the tone that he wants to set and the style of everything, and he nails it, I think. Yeah. You know, when you grow up with, like, 2000s or later 2000, 2010 blockbusters, they're so, like, explosive and CGI busted. Like, you go from Fast and Furious, and then you watch something like this where the gunshots are, like, real as fuck everything just sounds mm -hmm. perfect you're just, you're you're kind of thrown off the first time i watched this movie i felt i, I was kind of blown away too because like those those gun that gunfire went off i was like oh my god oh <laughs> yeah, my and, god what a rush <laughs> and like uh the scene where like um i mean obviously the cool maybe the coolest scene is when they have the shootout in the streets of la but yeah our boy Bobby shooting through the window and we could see the bullet holes being made as he's like shooting through. Oh, so that good. just so real. Dude, I, not, I even, not even that. that, dude. Like the first, even the first scene where not, there isn't a, entirely a full big conflict when, uh, what, what's his, what's his dude's name again? Like Gringo or something? The guy who turned Wangro. Yeah, Wangro. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, I, even, even when that thing happens, like, it feels so intense, even though it's kind of a one-sided fight. But, like, yeah. just the way it's executed and, and the, the, the simple, like, visual exchanges between the characters, it's, it's, so, it's terrific. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, what you're describing, Calvin, is like an adult, not an adult movie, but you know what I mean, like an adult action. Right, what am I trying to say? Like, they used to make movies not for 13-year-old boys, is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. he, he is like, it actually is kind of like a 13-year-old boy could, could enjoy it, but you don't quite enjoy it as much as you should, or it doesn't sink in until you're in your probably 20s or 30s. That's why I yeah. want to get to this. And, and by the way, don't feel, this is like our Aliens episode, don't feel the pressure. I was joking up front. Sometimes we can just sit around and we can bro out and just talk about all the shit we liked in this movie, but yeah. Putting it up on that dorm room next to that Fight Club poster, I think is unfair. <laughs> you know, I think Fight Club is obviously from Fincher and it's like an auteur and all this stuff. And people, I think those are the two most maligned movies by bro culture or film bro culture because they're yeah. actually quite good. But we've kind of had them taken away from us. But I think that the one thing we can do on this episode is we can reclaim heat. I think we can talk about the mm -hmm. stuff in this movie like, yes big truck go boom against uh you know the the money truck and money go everywhere and you know stuff like that but <laughs> i think we could talk about the more interesting things in this movie uh but but first off let's talk about that scene uh so of course we <laughs> so of course they open on de niro who's showing up on a train in la which immediately is like wait what like we're, we're in la but like I don't know this train. I, I, like, like yeah. it's just like a, he he shows parts of LA that are so interesting. We're spending a lot of time like uh, we're we're cross cutting between like Arizona, where Val Kilmer is like buying uh, the you know the things that he makes to make the explosives, and it's just so specific. De Niro's walking yeah. through a hospital. He's not touching anything with his hands. He uses his elbow to open the door. It's just like precision. It, it, you know, I obviously. Yeah. 
I obviously was, what, four when this movie came out. I hadn't seen Thief yet, which is Michael Mann's directorial debut. But these movies are so exacting, and we just get it right off the bat. We see it in Collateral, yeah. too, which, Adam, I know you've seen Collateral. There's just yeah. – he loves making movies about men who are good at, like, one thing. You know, they're really, really good at yeah. it. They're basically not good at anything else. Um, <laughs> and I just love how he steals the ambulance, and we see – it's just a perfect – version of that scene and uh, yeah. what you were talking about earlier with all the CGI and all the 2010s movies and stuff like that when they hit the charger and all of the windows break uh, and the car lot behind them that's not CGI yeah. they just blew yeah, the windows exactly. out of those cars and it just feels so real and that's the first moment in the movie because of course the truck hits the truck and you're like whoa that really happened they just filmed that happening but all yeah. of the windows breaking is the first moment where you go oh shit like there's going to be a lot of detail to this movie there's going to be a lot of uh, practical effects in this movie, and it's just that first scene just hits you in the face. It's just, it's so good. Yeah, no, no, it, that's that's very true. And what you were saying about uh, Michael Mann's movies being about like people that are just good at one thing is also very true. I lo what it, that's what I love about that is the fact that he really dives into it. He's he talks about like the, their mental psych, like what's so what's what are the the pros and cons, like what are what are their flaws. Like I feel, I really feel. Uh, I almost feel like I relate to these characters in Heat, like Neil and uh, what's uh, Pacino's character again? Hannah, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like they, 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 they're they always feel isolated. You know, there's this sense of like, even though they're these are two like very experienced people at what they do, they, they feel constantly like isolated in the, their retrospective fields. And I th I think Michael Mann is really good at, at capturing that that sense of nightlife in this like underground world where it's where it's LA but it's also like black market LA you know yeah absolutely and I, I think speaking of which there's a lot of pros and cons in this movie oh god um but <laughs> yeah talking about the sort of psyche I kind of like that it's a bit of a dime turn here where Normally, I feel like you'd expect for the villain, or I guess the criminal, to be the eccentric one, and the uh, yeah, like the main like uh, cop dude to be the like stern one. But they switch it around, and I think that makes for pretty interesting uh, choice, especially because Pacino's oh, yeah. character is nuts. Yeah, no, they're both they're both compelling assholes, essentially. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. So uh, what you're referring to that this performance, which you know got so many laughs at the Beverly. Um, is I think a product of, and everyone basically knows this, and I'm sure you can read it on IMDb. Man really released an early draft, obviously to Al Pacino, that where uh, his character had a cocaine addiction. Uh, it's it's even yeah. kind of hinted at in the movie when he says that he used to be DEA, but something happened, and blah 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 blah. So that was cut out of subsequent drafts, but it really feels like Pacino just latched onto that and just never, because if if this character had a cocaine addiction, it would basically explain all of the choices Al Pacino makes. But yeah. we never actually see him do the drug. So, but this this performance is and we'll and we'll get to it later cuz this movie is cops versus robbers. It's um Pacino versus De Niro, but like uh Calvin said earlier, the main thesis of this movie that you can roll your eyes at, but it's done better than any other movie I think is just hey, cops and robbers, they're actually kind of similar in ways. <laughs> they need each other. That's like the big antithesis of this movie i think like the the scene where they're grabbing coffee together and yeah they and, and they're saying like i don't know how to do anything else and neither do i and and they kind of openly confess that they depend on each other 
Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I mean, that scene is like iconic, right? It's, it's so yeah. perfect, especially because I have the two, those two actors playing those characters. I did like the idea of like them just starting to talk about their dreams, you know, because yeah. we get we hear Al Pacino's dream and then we hear De Niro's dream, and then I was like, what do they just keep going? Like, you know, sometimes I have a dream of like, you know, like, oh yeah, and and then you leap into the sunset to get her yeah. holding hands. Yeah, the true ending that was in one of those drafts, right, Trevor? Yeah. That, that'll be in the director's extended cut uh, in 2023. <laughs> um, but let's talk about, uh, I guess, favorite scenes, not counting that one. Uh, Trevor, why don't you start? Where are you at here? Yeah, so uh, I wanted to bring up a, a part that really... Uh, it, it, we talk about man's protagonists being these people who are good at one thing and nothing else. And this movie is like... They're not good at relationships. That's what the movie's about, right? Like, Kilmer's bad at relationships. De Niro's yeah. bad at relationships. Pacino. That's what the movie's actually about, right? And, we, with, yeah. and my favorite scene, one of my favorite scenes, I apologize. There's a million of them. But is the scene where De Niro is uh, picking up a book on metals at the <laughs> library. And then he goes to the diner and he meets the lady. And I think this is the funniest part of the movie because the uh, – I'm sorry. I don't, I don't remember the character's name. E, is it like Edie or something? But It was, it was something like – it started with E. Yeah. And she's just immediately interested in this guy who is super off-putting. So, la- <laughs> hey, lady. <laughs> lady, why do you care so much about what I – you know what I mean? Like he's like – and she's yeah. like, I'm sorry. You know, he goes – uh, it was a book on metals. Like, what? That's not going <laughs> to save the conversation. And he just seems like the worst person to get attached to. But there's right. a there's a weird, a wicked truth in that to that character. You could write that off as being like, come on, this lady. Now you can you can write off the the house she has overlooking L.A. Like she's like, yeah, I rent this house up on the hill, and I, I work at this like basically library. It's like that is a very very nice home. Anyways, you can write off. Like, oh, she would never fall for this guy. But it's like, I don't know, man. I think De Niro in this movie looked it good. Very, very good. Um, I was like, oh, shit. I forgot he was, like, very handsome at one point. Um, and, uh, yeah, when I reviewed this movie, like, last last week, I was, like, shocked. I, I almost didn't recognize him. I forgot how young De Niro looked. It's It's been a hot minute. Yeah, and I'm, he, I'm not going to do the math, but these guys are both, like, in their 50s. You know what I mean? Like, they're starring in this movie in 95, and they're both, like, fully in their 50s. Like, no one yeah. stars in movies anymore in their fit. You know what I mean? Like, Robert Downey Jr. or someone, maybe. But everyone is just so young now and stuff i was like wow they got some adults to play these roles and i, I really appreciate that <laughs> oh part yeah of it. but uh yeah that that scene yeah, obviously think... it's like oh my favorite scene of the movie is the diner scene no no not the scene between robert de niro and al pacino the scene between uh uh you know robert de niro and his love interest but uh yeah someone else take it here i'll think <laughs> of some of my favorite scenes uh there's a million of them so uh, what about what about you adam uh well yeah i think i think the scene i mean it's easy to say but the the scene in the shootout in la is what really got me because it felt so cinematic is a little bit too easy to say but it doesn't feel like that scene should have been done so well it doesn't feel like it should have been so real and immersive and like but the fact that we just see a broad daylight open streets of that we recognize you know where it's going on yeah um, just yeah really made it feel real and and the way that they handle all the guns and everything it was just really professional i loved that and i think that's just a testament of two man uh, and the things that he keeps bringing to the table here what about you kelvin 
Uh, I would. I, I'm kind of in the same boat, honestly. I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. I was trying to think of another scene that I would like, other than the one that you just picked. But it's just like, no, yeah, that that scene to me is. I is something I've like rewatched multiple times, even without context. Like even before I watched the whole movie, I had seen like clips of just that shootout of mm-hmm. in the in the chase and the and I could tell there was like a there was, there was a huge character exchange or face off even without any context uh when i first saw it because it's just so well directed you know you know shootouts are really hard to direct these days usually you you'll have like just a bunch of random reaction shots of people like firing at each other mm-hmm. and that's like the whole that's like the whole thing for a bunch of like mediocre thrillers but this movie's like it's so character driven like you can actually actively see pacino like being entirely focused on 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 getting this guy you know and he mm-hmm. finally would get what he i i think i think that my favorite moment in that scene is when he's like fu- shooting the tom sizemore character yeah yeah it's like he yeah, he's he, one of yeah. the crew members he was one of the pivotal crew members he holds a kid hostage yeah. right right and then uh pacino comes around the corner and really like aims at him and and, like, and that's another thing like this michael mann's films are edited to like superb perfection like there's it's it's one thing to see the handheld style in the form of Jason Bourne mm-hmm. and to like ruin the next 10 years of movies with that style <laughs> uh and it's and it's another to be like Michael Mann and put it on a tripod when necessary but then when things get really really dramatic like go into that that what you would think is the cheap handheld style but at the same time, very gritty documentary, realistic, uh, style, stylistic element, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of want to circle back um, that the scene with that guy uh, holding the kid and everything is super tense. And I think, I mean, yeah. we just get that throughout the film. But what's cool about this movie is that you're kind of just rooting for both sides the whole time. You know, yeah. you don't, it's you not don't one-sided. Want, yeah, and they got each of them have their own crew that you kind of get to know because they're all like you know fa- face actors. We all kind of recognize them, but we don't want yeah. any of them to get hurt. But some of them, of course, gotta get hurt as we keep going. Yeah, uh, the most in-your-face example of this is when we see uh, De Niro's crew have dinner, and um, Sizemore gives his wife the 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 watch or the bracelet, and then the next scene I think is pacino's crew having dinner like we, we <laughs> yeah. see that they they have their own groups and they actually hang out outside of work and etc and stuff but but de niro he leaves early from his to go see Edie, and then uh yeah. pacino leaves early from him's his his thing to go to uh the murder scene uh which um i want to bring up two scenes in particular that are dramatic highs in the film that um we can talk about the shootout on downtown la and of course like the opening heist and stuff like that things that people will remember from the movie but they don't mean anything if these two scenes aren't executed well. And it's when Pacino shows exactly. up to the murder scene and then uh, the, the woman, uh, the mom comes through the caution tape and uh, he, uh, he has to like grab her and hug her. And it's like very dramatic. And it's like, you know, these guys get to act in this movie, but they don't like, that's an extremely dramatic moment uh, that works really, really well. It kind of like stops you mm-hmm. in your tracks and you're like, Oh shit. Like this guy could really put it together dramatically. And then the other one is of course, when, um, De Niro just executes Wangro and you're like, yes, like, you know, like Wangro had that coming because in true Michael Mann fashion, the one thing I think is cuttable from this movie, but makes it perfect because it's him is the fact that not only does Wangro screw up the heist in the beginning, kill the cop 
and then uh, get away from being murdered. But he's also uh, a serial killer, which cracks me up because it's like mm-hmm. Michael Mann is so he like Manhunter and all that. It's like that character does not need to be a serial killer, but it's just one more thing that we add to to to, to link Pacino because Pacino's on the case of Wayne Grow and. De Niro wants to kill Wangro, and it's all, it all is just this beautiful thing that comes full circle. But De Niro executes Wangro, and then he comes out, and then he's going to the car, and of course he sees Pacino, and then he has to look at Edie, and he has to, he has to stick to his principle, the principle of the film, like you know. Yeah. And it's just you're like, oh my god, he's gonna leave her. I'm like, that is so sad. Like that is like the saddest <laughs> yeah. moment in a movie. Whether or not, like honestly, if you're invested in that relationship or not, it's still really sad. Where you're like. Damn it, he's gonna stick to his principle. He's out of there. He's hitting the airport, you know. And well, that's uh, what's interesting about his principle. It's that like he believes that's the principle that keeps that's keeping him alive and keeping him surviving. But that following that principle is what ironically gets him, you know, ultimately caught. Yeah. Another dramatic irony in the movie is he's constantly talking about his principles and these yeah. things like that, and then he just breaks them all. Like, he literally is on his way to New Zealand, and then he goes, and we kind of stick on him in, in like, a cheesy yeah. few close-ups where he's like, ah, should I kill Wangro? God, should I kill Wangro? And then he finally goes, ah, we're going to make a stop. And everyone in the theater's like, no. Like, <laughs> like, like no. Like, yes, of course we want you to, to kill this terrible human, but, you know, we, we also want – we want you to get away. We want you to live, and we want Pacino to. You know what I mean? So it, it's just, yeah, it, it's it's stuff like that that people, you know, if they want to, you know, like I said, the the film bro co opt of this movie is, is oh yeah, there's a lot of really great action, which is like yeah, there's great action. It's better action than literally almost any movie. So you're right in that regard. But then it's like, but the dramatic highs of this movie are pretty much untouched in terms of this genre that we're talking yeah. about. So uh, Adam, any 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 other scenes that really stick out to you? Um, yeah, well, I think uh, kind of leading to where you guys are talking about is if we go to the end scene, the uh, final kind of oh, yeah. cat and mouse thing at the LAX, which is very, very tense. And similarly, like, I don't know who I want to win here. And when uh, when De Niro pops out, when they see each other, I was half expecting for them to just kill each other, you know, right, shoot each other right, in the right, head right. in some like romantic way off. But it makes sense, I think, that Al, you know, ends up as the because he is you know, morally on the side of good, right? Because Pacino is, you know, responsible for getting some people, innocent people killed around, so you can't really let him get away with it. Yeah, yeah I mean, De Niro's gunning down people in downtown L.A. Like, we were talking about this with the town, where it's like Ben Affleck gets away at the end. You're like, oh, he got away, good, and hopefully Rebecca Hall will come meet him. And it's like he was executing people at Fenway Park during that during that shootout. <laughs> you know, like, this is not a good man, uh, but they don't yeah. pretend to be good men. I, I think... Affleck's character and we need to talk about he uh, not he we need to talk about the town because it's so similar and we did during the town episode but that movie thinks that Ben Affleck is a good guy this movie he knows Robert De Niro is not a good guy so when he dies on the tarmac essentially you just the movie ends with that like insanely good score and you just burst out into applause you're like god damn it that's that's it that's that's how you end that movie it's perfect yeah, and I think I bet, but yeah, and what a real because of that because it's all been leading there, and we've been like really with these two characters. That that scene is so tense, and that like what a perfect place to put it with the lights coming on and off intensely as planes fly overhead. It's yeah, like perfect. It it does feel like we talk about this sometimes. It does feel like that scene that 
he probably thought of first, and then he just reverse engineered an entire movie on it. And it's like, <laughs> fine, honestly, fine, it works. Like I've never seen a scene happen like that. You know, heist movies, Dog Day Afternoon, uh, The Killing. Yeah. Uh, some of them do end at airports, which makes sense. But this is a different type of thing where you're using the tension of the planes landing. And my God, was this movie loud in the theater? Uh, even on film at the New Beverly, the shootout. that shootout and then those planes uh, taking off and landing—it's just—it it needs to be that loud. The movie needs to be yeah. um, that technically proficient. I feel like you know. Well, it's like what you were saying earlier. Like, it, it, all of this is elevated by the fact that the characters are so fleshed out, and there's all these intimate moments in between the, all the action. That—that's the whole thing. That's the whole. I mean, that's the whole point of thrillers. Like, you have to have a reason to care and. I think this this movie like it totally excels in, in like showing both perspectives and how they the, how everyone's connected with each other and that that mutual respect at the end uh, at the end of the movie is what really got me. I thought that's it's kind of insane how like often someone who's closest to you is usually like on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and I like that they they do hold hands at the end actually. No, oh yeah yeah no, no totally yeah it's so good and that, that line could have gone so south right the i told you i was never going back it's like no it works it's fucking de niro saying it you know what i mean yeah, like yeah. that that is like you make a three-hour heist movie drama we're gonna call it a drama but we're talking about heist movies obviously because you, you just you hire the two best actors of their generation to do it and you can get away with a lot because i when you if you were to strip down the dialogue in that diner scene uh, yeah. it's, it's good. It's definitely good. And it's worth the hype. And there's uh, the way he directs it is interesting. Cause there's no wides. You just literally, you actually could make the argument. They're probably not even in the same room when they're making the scene. And we know they were because it was a big deal, but, um, we yeah. never get a two shot of them. It's just over the shoulder, over the shoulder, over the shoulder. So it's like, literally they could have not even been in each other's coverage for all we know. Um, yeah, but it's like Adam said, he likes the line where they start talking about dreams, but it's like, if you're reading them on the, on like the page, it would be like, you know, like, if I have to put you down, I'm not going to like it, but I'm going to do it. It's like this good, like, tough guy talk. And then, like, Pacino just, like, yeah. sits back and goes, I have this dream sometimes. And you're like, what the fuck is he? What? Like, what is this scene now all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but because it's Pacino, because it's De Niro, you're like, man, this is really, really good. So, uh, yeah. a, point I, a point I wanted to bring up just to transition real quick is that it is a heist movie. There's a, there's some action in it, but I'm I'm kind of scratching my brain to figure out there's three action scenes in the whole movie right we open on one there's the downtown shootout in la and then there's the really awesome scene at the drive-in when they uh when van zant yeah van zant tries to send a bullshit right and then they uh kilmer has like the sniper rifle and shit like that like that's a great great scene Um, i'm still curious as to how they accomplished that stunt where he like crunches the guy between the two cars yeah Yeah, that's right yeah that was that was really (laughs) intense like he's rolling up on him and then kilmer's like oh shit and then like he like de niro (laughs) has to do it himself he just backs into the guy but uh there's like no hesitation too he's like there's a guy on your six (laughs) (laughs) and then they try to get out of there and sizemore comes out with the pump action shotgun and shoots it like 10 times through the guy's window and you're like oh Oh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's the thing is like it's a good crew we do feel i mean there's a lot of little instances um throughout the movie where we just we can connect with pretty much all of these characters and i, I love that yeah. and, and that is what the dream speech is about right it's not the fact yeah. that they have dreams to me that that makes me connect to these characters but it's the fact that they're willing to like listen to each other you know yeah, yeah. i mean that character neil could have heard pacino's dream and then been like i don't dream i don't dream 
You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like that would make sense for his character, you know. But he's like, "Yeah, I yeah. have a dream. I'm I'm drowning." And you're like, "Oh, interesting," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my main point was that there's three action sequences in this movie. <laughs> Gr- granted, the middle one is very long, or I'm right. sorry, not even the, not even the middle one, the end one, uh, Downtown L is very long. But th- so the rest of the movie is a drama. I mean, the rest of the movie, yeah. which is like two hours and ten minutes, is just great actors with I'm gonna say it, great writing, great writing. and great direction. Yeah. So I, I, you know, um, but we get uh, some get? kills throughout. That's the thing. That, is like <laughs> that's what. It, well, that's what it count, comes down to. You know, like elevating the story to a point where the the action is so quick yet so powerful and memorable because of the because of how much was at stake with the characters in between all the drama. Yeah, and like Trevor, you wouldn't would you consider the the last scene an action scene? And that's a, uh, oh yeah no yeah that yeah that's a that's a cat and mouse yeah that's that's action I guess but yeah that's but then we a... we also get like the two the two deaths that Bob pulls off at the end with the yeah you know and then but yeah. so it's sprinkled you know it still has its it knows what it wants to be throughout the point but I you know as you guys keep saying it it does stick to the characters which is the most important thing um, yeah. Well, I was just gonna say that I'm curious uh, what comes first for a movie like this. Does the budget the budget's based on Pacino and De Niro, right? Because I think this is like a hundred million dollar movie. They would just never make yeah. this nowadays. They would it just would never happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, man, you know, he he made years of Miami Vice, Thief Rocks. He's made some good movies by this point. Um, yeah, I, I've 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 left out Manhunter. I think Last of the Mohicans, movies that have Mich- done well. What's that? Oh, never mind. Never mind. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> you were going to uh, mix it up with De Palma. <laughs> I, I was going to say Collateral, but... Uh... Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say Mission Impossible. I was like, oh, yeah. No, I almost I almost said Mission Impossible. Then I realized, oh, wait, no, that's De Palma. <laughs> hey, that's a that's a good pick, man, for the first Mission Impossible. Man would have knocked that out of the park, like 100%. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, I hate to get on a tangent, but it is a podcast because uh, you brought it up uh, almost. Uh, I... I saw a clip of Tom Cruise talking about how he he wanted a director for Mission Impossible because, as we know, the Mission Impossible franchise is very director like driven by Cruise. He'll like pick yeah. up a he'll pick up a director. He went home uh, and watched every Brian De Palma movie in one night uh, prior to 1993, of course, and then immediately yeah. was like, "I'm gonna hire this guy. He's gonna make the first Mission Impossible." And I was like, "That is the most Tom Cruise thing to do is go home and watch every Brian De Palma movie at that point." And then just kind of make the, sorry everyone, but kind of make the wrong decision of like, yes, this guy should direct a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> he is the kind of focused person that would uh, like look into an entire person's career and hire him and then meet him in person. It's like I've watched, I've I know your entire life, man. <laughs> I'm in love with you. <laughs> yeah, he's just crazy enough for that story to like be like not even funny. Where I just kind of nodded my yeah. head and went, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the, the last thing I want to bring up before you are uh, trying to move us on, Adam, and see how hard it is to host the show, especially when we're talking about a movie like Heat, where I just want to talk about it. We're not even going to scratch the surface, folks, and you'd have to do a three-hour podcast for that. But I do want to – something that I noticed this time watching it, and we haven't talked about Kilmer a lot, but I think that the heart of the movie, of course, everyone thinks it's the De Niro-Pacino relationship, but they do spend a lot of time on that Val Kilmer-Ashley Judd relationship. Um, what did you guys think? Did, did, did that relationship work for you? Like, does that scene at the end where he pulls up in the car and she kind of gives him the wave off, uh, which is literally a scene in the movie, The Town. Um, how did that work for you? Do, do you think that they're the heart and soul of the movie? Or do you think that was something where I was like, ah, why are we spending so much time on this? I guess it adds to the, the to, to overall thematic 
message of the movie, but it it, w- it didn't resonate with me personally entirely. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think similarly, although it added, it did add something surprising for me personally. Where is that? Um, we get Al Pacino's wife, the, the, uh, who sucks big time. She's like horrible. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that, we, we we could debate that for sure. I mean, he's a bad husband, a very bad husband. He's just busy. I think he's a well, good there, oh, husband. Well, there was that great. That, well, there was that great dialogue exchange between her and Pacino, where like she's talking about how she agreed to be part of this this life where he's just sharing between uh his him looking at dead criminal scenes and like coming home late all night but there she had her intimate moment where she's saying she's not really living with him she's just he he's he's not really living with her he's living among the dead essentially that scene yeah does crack me up because it's that is a full that is a monologue that is a, a soliloquy it is so well written but something that someone would never actually say. Like, it's literally poetic, yeah. what she's saying. Yeah. But you could argue she's been waiting to say this to him for a long time. So she's been practicing it. And it really feels like she's been practicing what she says. Yeah. Because it's so poignant where you're like, holy shit, that was like Shakespeare, you know? I, I do feel like Michael Mann tends to have those moments in a lot of his films. He yeah. has, like, these these really well-done monologues that are totally injected in the movie and it feels powerful it's it's so great and and it's and it really gets you thinking but at the same time it's like not not everyone would say something like that in in real life yeah uh, I, think... I remember i remember tom cruise in collateral like he was just saying casually saying to jamie fox about how how nobody bats an eye on each other in in, in the city of la like you could be dead on dead in the subway and nobody would would care for you it's like holy shit that's deep but like why are you saying this to like essentially <laughs> a cab driver <laughs> yeah yeah and even i mean throughout this film actually there are lines like that where uh what's his name wayne grow yeah he says to the girl before like you're, you're hanging with the grim reaper or something and then uh yeah robert de niro on the phone says on the other guys you know there's a dead man on the other end of the phone i like that specifically that uh, that guy doesn't understand what De Niro's saying, so De Niro's like sums it up a little bit, even, but still in like a weird poetic way. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I kind of like that. Uh, what's his name? Van Zandt. He's kind of yeah. like he kinda, he's kind of like a normal, semi-normal person, and, <laughs> and De Niro's still like in this poetic character. He's giving the dialogue exchange like there's a dead man on the other side. <laughs> the guy's thinking about it literally. He's like, what? <laughs> he just looks at his colleague. He's like, "What the fuck just happened?" <laughs> it's, um, like, it's like that moment in The Irishman when De Niro's like saying to Pacino, "Like it's what it is." <laughs> and Pacino's like, "What? What is it?" <laughs> yeah, and I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I brought up their, their relationship because I think Man thinks it's the heart and soul of the movie. Uh, Kilmer is the only character from De Niro's crew that survives. He's literally the only character. Uh, yeah. And you just kind of like I don't know like do do you what you want Kilmer to live uh, but do you want them to be together No not really It's just nice that you yeah. know for the child for the child maybe of course But uh, yeah I, w- I was just curious about that and um, just just I know you you're gonna move us on again Adam But I want to say yes. that we're bringing up those weird lines in the movie where characters have to be like Well what do you mean by that And then there's the punchline or whatever yeah. We talked about this with aliens but this movie has bars and sometimes you just gotta write a cool line sometimes you just gotta write a cool line yeah 
absolutely yeah I, i'm happy with it i'm not i wouldn't take it down yeah I, I have no problem we're making fun of it but at the same time we have no problems with it you know it's yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that it, was in terms sorry. of context it's cinematic language is its own thing so that's why it works in a movie and you know not in real life right and, and I, I do want to add the one thing that i noticed the most obviously with like with most movies when you watch them in theaters is just how funny this movie is like when you watch it you wouldn't be like ah yeah he that movie's really funny no no one's calling heat a comedy but God, there's a lot of like little character moments that are just so damn funny in this movie. Um, my final point, because I know we can talk about it all day, I just want to say I have to give him credit because we we must give credit where credit's due. We have to be blind to these things, Adam. But John Voight's really good in this movie. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. for what, what he did in there, yeah, I think I like, think you're right. When he's talking about like, uh, oh, well, Van Zandt owns this money. They're like, who's Van Zandt? It's like, oh, this guy. You know what? He gets a hundred percent. On that, we can take another. Uh, we can offer him forty percent on the debt. Like when he talks about that shit, you're like, oh my god! Like this dude, like these are again. This is a man character who knows basically how to do one thing really, really well, and it's uh, we'll give we'll give him a shout out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, and that's it for that part of the podcast. Now, let's get into a uh, ranking. Um, as you know, Trevor, uh, but I'll explain to Calvin, is we, uh, we have an arbitrary rating system on this show where we uh, come up with the categories and we rate the movie based on those to see how good of a movie it is in the high genre. Uh, but let's get it started, Calvin, on a scale of 1 to 10, and we'll kind of work it out with you afterwards. Uh, how sweet is the loot? So, Calvin, I'll go first on these categories just to give you a break so you can kind of see how this goes, if that's okay. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, Adam came up with this category. He wanted us to know how sweet the loot is. He's thinking rupees and yeah. just like a different. I'm talking straight cash, Adam. And I watched them walk out with three duffel bags of money in this movie during that major heist. Of course, they we have the one in the beak. Yeah, they didn't make it. It's like, but it doesn't matter. I mean, the question is, how sweet is the loot? Not how far did they get with the loot? Um, okay. And then in the beginning, I will say that loot that is not sweet at all. Bales or uh, bonds, not cool. Those are not. That's I not don't know. sweet loot. I disagree. I think anything but cash is sweet because cash is easy, baby. That is wild. The the bond stuff was so boring. It's so technical and cold. Yeah, I, I liked like watching them walk out with. Dumb, I, I liked when Kilmer goes into the vault. And just as precise as he is with reloading the magazines on his gun in the shootout, which, by the way, like the big thing there is that apparently they show this to the Marines to show them how to, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like that, like they trained so long with those guns. But it's like, how long did Kilmer train to cut the bag like that of cash and put it in the duffel bag? Like he does it so smoothly where it's like, (laughs) yes, it's hard to learn how to use assault rifles, but there's little things where you can tell Kilmer, who was, you know, a big method actor, Brando was his his god and of course he was such a huge fan of de niro you can he doesn't get a ton to do in this movie but he, he's so committed to it so i think the loot the three duffel bags that's a that's a hard eight from me adam okay uh i think it's uh calvin do you want to jump in actually before i go i mean considering the number of heist films i've actually seen <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a nine for me okay <laughs> Yeah, I'm down with that. I think, I mean, it does look sweet, and I, I do love that sequence a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give it, uh, but it is still just cash at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll give it a six. And um, just to clarify, I believe it's like $13 million in cash. Is that is that what Voight said? <laughs> yeah, I think it was like above 12. Uh, at, 
Yeah, they mentioned something like that. That's, that's that, a lot of money to walk out of a bank with. Yeah, it is. Unless you're it, me. It's you know. funny because in contrast, there was a Robert Redford film that came out recently uh, in recent years. I think it was like Old Man with a Gun or something. Yeah. And like the whole the whole joke was that he was that he used to be a bank robber. He tried to rob a bank in modern day, but since everything's like essentially virtual now, like <laughs> there's literally nothing for him. He's just like collecting pennies. <laughs> <laughs> so so no, yeah. As far as like heist movies that. With, within context, I think this movie has the most physical cash I've seen in any heist film. Yeah, yeah this I movie's think... made around that time where there's just enough analog to it that makes it really interesting. You know, the phones, mm-hmm. the TVs, the cash yeah. being in banks, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, but let's get to the next one. Uh, all right, here we go. How diverse slash specific is the crew? Trevor, I think you're foaming at the mouth right now. Yeah, so we're not talking about diverse in terms of anything other than are there a bunch of people in the crew that do different things? Um, yeah, man, man, he puts together that great, great team where you have mm-hmm. you have uh, even okay, even the tragic arc of the uh, ex-con cook, uh, uh, yeah, the all state farm, yeah, all state, yeah, all state guy. What a terrible arc that guy has. We even get to meet his partner and all that, and see him have the success of throwing the. Uh, <laughs> throwing the boss on the ground we we get to live through his highs and lows even briefly just to see him shot dead in a car during the robbery where it's like this movie is three hours for a reason but anyways yeah this is other than possibly when we get to oceans 11 a perfect example of a crew where everybody does their own thing and they're really really good at it so i'm going yeah 10 baby 10 yeah Tre- uh, calvin I, I, I would agree, honestly. Um, and an- another reason I would agree is because my one issue with a lot of heist films is that sometimes there's too many characters, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I would end up caring for all of them. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's just a pro. That, I, I guess that's just a big issue with ensemble casts in general. Like, any movie with like an ensemble of characters, like especially all huge stars, you're, you're trying to find, like, appropriate screen time and character development for all of them but no i feel like uh i feel like this one was very tight and it was uh and everyone had the respective roles and everyone had certain certain parts to play in the in the plot so i'd give it a 10 as far as uh being efficient with their their respective roles and the number of people that are involved yeah and you know what um even I, I I agree with you. It's a perfect crew, and even outside from that, uh, even Pacino's crew I like a lot. Um, mm, yeah, and yeah, I'm gonna give it a ten. How could I not? Yeah, I mean, you love cops. I mean, what, what we're learning okay. on this episode <laughs> is that you love cops. <laughs> All right, next question: uh, How good is the prestige towards the end? Okay, so this means uh, I have to explain everything to the guests, I guess, Adam. Uh, but uh, Calvin, sure. what this means is that. In heist movies, oftentimes there's a big reveal towards the end of the movie where we learn that things maybe aren't as simple as they seem in this movie. The heist that we learned that the the robbers were going to be doing actually isn't quite what we were told. We were given unreliable narrative, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, um, I'm going to be a little heavy-handed here and say, uh, nope, they uh, they pretty much uh, plan to go into this bank and take the money and get out. It's not really all that complicated, and uh, there's really no twist that happens they just get caught so there's not much of a prestige here what do you think adam yeah i'm also not feeling it uh unfortunately it's just not the fault you know it's no negative of the movie it's just 
didn't have it. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. although I would argue that maybe uh, the the, per, the uh, nice little prestige is that uh, Val Kilmer's wife, her little trick, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah, because, there's there's not much here. I'm going one. Oh, I'm going to go with a four. Calvin? Mm. Yeah, I was going to go with four, too, just because uh, of the idea that the cops were the ones ambushing the, the robbers. But other than that, like, it's no, you're right. There isn't really any big reveals. It's it's pretty straightforward. But that's not to take away from the film, you know? Like, yeah. there's a lot, a lot of the big, like, cliche critiques these days involves, like, oh, everything was just as expected. But, well... Every, almost everything's been done to some extent, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it's, what's really important is to how it's executed. And for me, like, Heat is, like, a perfect execution of, of essentially a heist thriller. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, 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 I give it a four for this prestige, but it's still a great movie regardless. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know what? Actually, I think the thing is that the prestige happens midway through the movie, and it's um, yeah. when they're doing the... Uh, there's the uh, De Niro and his crew are yes, scouting at yes, the junkyard. Yes, it's a great scene. So good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the, that is, that's the prestige that we would normally get at the end. Um, but yeah. Uh, Trevor, you want to say something? No, I, I love that scene where they cuts up to dinner and he's literally smiling while taking the pictures of him. <laughs> right. And he just yeah. says like, uh, that, I think like, Pacino, like flips him off or whatever. Yeah. It, it's, it's really cute. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, next one. How pumped do we get during the heist planning sequence? Uh, this one requires no explanation. Um, Adam, is there a heist planning sequence in this movie? I mean, there's... Is there... I don't remember. I don't think so. They talk to Tom Noonan where they get some information. And um, the only actual planning really is that scene that we were just talking about in the shipyard. But that's, that's actually just the prestige. Yeah, that's, yeah. All, that's all fake, right? They're literally yeah. not even planning anything. He's just saying random freeways. Yeah. Um, uh, so the heist planning sequence is Noonan saying like, well, we can disable the, the alarm from underneath. We see the scene where they go and they disable the alarm underneath the bank. There's not yeah. that classic heist planning sequence, but there's, there is a plan and, um, I, 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 maybe it happens off screen. So it doesn't really fit. Sometimes Calvin, the, uh, the, the old categories here don't fit every movie and, and that's okay. Uh, I gave the last yeah. category a one. I'm going to give this one a three though. Yeah. I don't know how you're feeling Calvin, but I'll give it. I, I have to give this one a one. I don't think there is an actual. I like the Tom Noonan scene a lot. Actually, two. Give, I'll put me down for two because I do like that in Tom Noonan rules. But it's, yeah. you know, and thank, I like the fact that this movie doesn't have a planning sequence. You know, I think it just works so well with that one. No, I agree. Uh, I think it's I think it's probably around a one or two, uh, just because there, it's almost non-existent. You guys, you guys were talking about this. I was trying. I was thinking in my head. Oh crap! I don't. Do I not remember this movie? Because <laughs> I don't remember much of a planning scene. Um, so yeah, no. As far as literally the amount of screen time for planning, uh, it's probably one. Yeah. All right, and uh, how daring is the theft? Well, we have uh, men in gray suits walking into a bank in the middle of uh, the day in downtown L.A., mm -hmm. uh, expecting to take three duffel bags of roughly 4 to $5 million each, uh, get in a car, and drive away with it. And they know here, – here's why – here's my case. They know the heat is on. They literally 
almost got caught at their last heist, if you if you recall correctly. It's like it's very Michael Mann that they the, the heist they try to do right before the downtown LA sequence is that they're trying to steal medals from that one area. They get in, they yeah. realize the heat is on because that that cop falls over in the container. I love that moment, and they're immediately like, "Let's, we're out of here, we're out of here." Val Kilmer's like, "I'm almost in." He's like, "We're out of here, we walk," you know. Um, I think it's a pretty daring theft. It, it now mm-hmm. I might be I might be kind of short-sighted here because I know it gets very daring once the cops, you know what I mean? Like them getting out of there alive, which most of them don't, uh, is a tall task, I, but it's not the most daring. I'm going to give it a, a soft seven. Do you want to go first? I got to, I got to sure. think about it to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, it is, it is tough. I think, I think I'm in the same boat where, uh, I'll give it a seven too. I think Trevor, I'll follow your lead there. Yeah. I think I'll give it a six. Just because, like, these are people who should be, I mean, even though despite things going very wrong, these are people who are, like, very experienced at what they do. And so they were at least prepared somewhat for unexpected uh, guests, you know? Like, they, they had they had the appropriate equipment mm-hmm. to, to, so to speak, fight off these cops. Whereas, like, I'm also thinking about that scene where everything just goes to shit and Baby Driver and the kid's just running, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that, as far as daring goes, like, that guy is literally unarmed and he's running for his life from a bunch of firing cops. Like, it, it, if you, you compare the you com, you compare the amount of danger between those movies and, like, other movies, I, I would say I would say it's six. Okay. Nice another fair. great uh, scene, another great Sizemore scene is when, and this could probably up my score, but I'm not going to do it because I only give one number. But yeah. Uh, De Niro literally pulls them remember they're in front of the truck and he says like guys the heat is on us like we have a choice we either don't do it or we do it Kilmer's like I need the money let's do it Sizemore and then De Niro literally says to Sizemore they're like on to us you have a child you have a wife you do not need to do this and he's like you know he says like the the you know the heist is the juice for me or whatever yeah. he says um, so they're warned it's going to be very dangerous but they still take it, yeah. so that, I think that's where the seven. The seven and you, your ears pricked up because you are a juice fiend, Trevor. Abs- absolutely, like, juice. Yeah. Um, we'll just I'll just finish it up here um, with Calvin. Now that the now that we've uh, finalized in where Heat ranks among our heist films, it's so far number one over the town. However, um, wow, it's still it's still that uh, score of ninety four is usually kind of low when it comes to films. I think. I think our winner for Revenge, um, which was The Handmaiden, was around 130. Uh, but we'll see. You know, it's all relative. Um, oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I guess I should have ranked higher because Heat is up there, you know, as right. far as, like, move best thrillers in general. Like, I, I feel bad because my knowledge of heist movies, aside from Heat, is very limited. No, no. You're, as you can tell. You're chill. I think we all kind of yeah. – because we, we – Trevor and I gave it 31. You were 32. We all – I think felt yeah. it's, it's never really a reflection of how good the movie is, but you know. Um, yeah. But now that the, the you know, t- go ahead. You know, it's sad when the first heist movie I could think of is Catch That Kid, which is some really <laughs> dumb, like Disney fied. Um, no, not Disney fied. Uh, this really silly kids, kids family movie about yeah. this gar- girl like robbing a bank to pay off money for her, his dad's injury or something. You should have brought that on the show. <laughs> no, no, it's not a by any means a classic. I just it just for some reason that resonated with me as a kid. Like yeah. that was like the first 
first real heist movie I I watched. Yeah, that's we got to start somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, there was a time where you used to love like Spy Kids, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Which uh, maybe yeah. we'll get into in our spy stuff. Uh, spy. Oh genre. my god! One of these days, I'll, I'll listen to the Spy Kids Two podcast. I, I'd <laughs> love to. I'd love to hear you guys talk about how ridiculously philosophical that movie gets at one point <laughs> well, we'd have to bring you on in that case um but yeah now that now that we're near the end um we do have to ask you for the calvin chin award what you might want to bring on uh i can give you an example uh, our our guest for the last episode his uh, his name is zishan Yunus, and his award is for most handsome bank robber uh, that's because he's a big fan of Ben Affleck, so it might go to him. But hey, now that we saw Robert De Niro looking good, it might go to your movie. Um, and then if if Heat does win win any of these awards, we're gonna reach out to you and have you leave us a voicemail accepting the award on behalf. You know, so we'll keep you posted. But for now, what do you think might be the Calvin Chin Award? To, but... a- angriest, angriest Al, I guess. <laughs> angriest I think about... Al. Yeah, I think about all of Al Pacino's performances. Like, The Godfather is, like, the only movie I can think of where he's really, like, you know, like, he's really calm and collective. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Every other Pacino movie I've ever seen, he's just losing his shit. Like, (laughs) Okay. Uh, I like that. The Calvin Chin Award for Angriest Al. Um, yeah. Which, of course, you know, we can never forget the the, uh, Dunkin' Donuts commercial that he did. Which might be an oh, I, I've never seen that. How how is that? You should check it out after this podcast. And to the listeners out there, uh, yeah, highly recommend. It is pretty effing nuts that it exists. Um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, uh, as we wrap up, Calvin, do you have anything uh, you'd want to plug? Um, I don't know. Maybe you check out my website, calvinchin.org. Absolutely. Uh, are you on Letterboxd? Yeah, I am not, but I will be soon because I I've been told that i should get one yeah um if i want to like give my little snippets about movies while still being in this industry you know yeah I, i'd follow you I, there. I, it's funny because i used to run a youtube channel and i i would say that but i haven't been on that for for the past like two years or so so i'm i'm more focused on like get finding professional freelance work uh mm-hmm. and in between in between my full-time job with movie trailers but uh yeah, no, um, I appreciate if people, like, check out my website, uh, see if if there's anything we can collaborate on. Uh, th- thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, do you want to p- plug your Instagram? I know you post uh, the stuff you're working on there uh, sometimes. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Calvin C. Shinobi. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And then, uh, uh, go ahead. Our, Nar- our Naruto live, this is a little off topic, but our Naruto live action series dropped recently. The, the final episode's coming out next week. So. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. Uh, believe it. Yeah, you better believe it. <laughs> we've, uh, we've actually talked a lot about Naruto on this podcast, surprisingly. Trevor has never seen an episode, but I've seen it all, and uh, th- we've had some guests on to describe some Naruto stuff. That's- Calvin, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I know I teased you up front about uh, being a big show, a lot of pressure, but I think you did a great, great job. Um, thank you for being our Val Kilmer to this Pacino De Niro uh, <laughs> billing up top. Uh, I appreciate you for being on the show, and uh, I'd love to have you on anytime soon in the future. Please no, come back on so sometime. Much. Yeah, no, thank you so much. It's been, it's honestly, it's been a long time since I've actually just like talked about movies. You know, I remember like film school. It, that was like the whole thing. It was just talking about movies and analyzing them and explaining them and why you loved them. And it's something 
I wish I was able to do more professionally, but it's at the same time you you also don't want like butt heads with people that are currently working on movies. So it you almost kind of refrain from talking about certain movies. I'm I'm glad we get to do like these kind of like deep in depth analysis of these classic films. Yeah, I think I uh, I have uh, for the listeners out there. Don't worry, Trevor's plugs won't go to waste. He's on Letterbox at Captain Dills, and his personal on instant Twitter is T- Trevor Dills. Uh, and always yeah. please follow us at Ghost Party Picks on any other socials where we're posting all this stuff that we're talking about. And me personally, AdamJCWagner.com. If you want to check out the stuff I'm making. And now that I am on Letterbox, and hopefully Calvin will be joining us, uh, my thing is Adam with three M's at the end. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Uh, I'm going to join Trevor in thanking you, Kelvin. It was really nice to have you on. Love hearing you talk about movies as always. And, uh, also love catching up with you. If, uh, next time you're around, let me know. I'll bring you to the freedom. We'll watch something. So, uh, thank you. Oh, thanks dude. Well, thank you, Calvin. And, uh, thank you to all the listeners out there. We, uh, appreciate it. Please, uh, pull heists of your own and steal the phones of your loved ones or anyone around you. And review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, We'll read your review on the show, as always. Smash that follow button on Spotify uh, or Google, since we're always on Google. That's Trevor's favorite place to listen. And uh, thank you again for listening to Ghost Party Radio. Uh, We have officially uh, gotten rid of Trevor. It's just me from now on. You're welcome, everybody. Bye. 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 Whoa. Mm, That's a 10.